Oh, okay. This is the easy part. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Gatecrasher Podcast. I am Kenny, and my pronouns are he, him. And I am David, he, him. And, uh, you know, here at Gatecrasher Podcast, we believe that tabletop gaming is for everyone, and that gatekeeping, which I think you all know, means limiting access to information participation, is the domain of the knave and the fool. Mm. And we hope through sharing our experiences and enthusiasm that we can get conversations started and uh, crash through those gates that are holding you back from gaming. Be sure to follow us and leave a review on your favorite platform if you want to hear more and have something to say. Today, our conversation is about gaming conventions, specifically Gen Con, I guess. You went there, so yeah. yeah. I was there. I'm going to hear about it. Oh, God. All right. Before we do that... (laughs) Oh god. Let's do the hubby. What do we do? What's our things? The gaming shit that we've been doing. That's what Oh, love that. Gaming shit. Let's <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, David, what have you been doing in the last few weeks? Been continuing on with my Ryotama game, which has been a lot of fun. Interesting timing considering our recent discussions of Fanta tropes and the guest appearance we had last episode from from my Ryotama GM actually Rainy. That's right. Yeah. It's um kind of been an interesting, you know, we like to talk theory and we like to do practice. So it's been interesting to do the theory and the practice there. I'm a raging hypocrite since I am playing a non-human character in this game. <laughs> so <laughs> Look, just because we advocate for human centric mm-hmm. gameplay does not mm-hmm. mean we mm-hmm. always hold ourselves into it. I, we were just talking on Twitter the other day about how I would actually love to play a baboon in Glorantha. So this is true. <laughs> Although that's still a primate, so I think you get a pass for that. Anyway, but that's been fun. And let's see. Other than that, got to start on my Stormcast collection for Age of Sigmar. Mm. Finally. Oh, and I finished my Anglo Danes. Oh. And very happy with those. Pictures of those are on our Gatecrasher Discord for folks who mm. want to check it out. So yeah, I managed to get a fair amount of painting in over the last couple of weeks, which has been nice. Haven't technically been doing a hobby streak since I don't paint every day, but I've been close to it almost every day, which has been nice. Yeah. And yeah, apart from that, just, I don't know, follow, going down various rabbit holes as I want <laughs> to do. The hobby streak's a tough one. Mm. You and I have both done extensive hobby streaks in the past. And it's you really have to figure out what that means to you. Because mm. for you, you work in the tabletop gaming sphere. Every day is a hobby streak that you're going to work. True. That's true. Same for me. If I want to consider myself like, like I'm like, all right, I'm going to do art every day. Does that include when I'm at work tattooing people? Who knows? Mm-hmm. So you kind of just have to make up your own parameters, I think. That's true. That's a good point. For me, it's mostly, yeah, since I do work for RPGs, I consider miniatures my hobby. So there you oh, go. Interesting. So do you mm-hmm. not consider role-playing games a hobby? It's a professional hobby, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. It, it transitioned over into a profession at some point. Because at this point, it's like anything I do RPG-related is job-related now. Because Yeah. That's my job. It's like if I were a fiction writer, whatever I read is part of my job. So, oh, do you want to hear, do you want to hear my latest cockamamie idea for a... Of course. Of course. (laughs) I haven't forgotten about Mythos. In fact, I might actually be running some Mythos. No way. Soon. But you know, not make any promises. Oh my God. (laughs) Running Mythos. You'll hear about it here first, folks, if I do. But uh, yeah, no. So my latest scheme would be to take the second edition of Twilight 2000, which is the World War III apocalyptic role-playing game. This was one that was published in 1992. And for the combat system, plug in this system called Phoenix Command, which is the most detailed, like overly detailed, what would you, uh, obsessive, obsessive (laughs) combat system ever written. This is a system that divides combat rounds into fractions of a second. That's incredible. I think you did, you did, I think you sent me this Discord and I was like, what is that? Cause somebody made an app to track the Somebody made an app. I did send you that video. Yeah, we can put that in the show notes actually. Oh Um, my God. 
it was hilarious too because the guy was just fully admitting he's nobody plays this anymore this doesn't matter this matters he was so like <laughs> just blase about it he's basically yeah. just saying like i'm a dilettante and i just did this for fun so you know whatever. Hey, yeah that's cool i like that um yeah it, it's just that you know twilight 2000 already has this reputation for being kind of a like a war war simulator type mm. game so i'm like why not just go all the way and use a combat system that literally calculates whether when you get shot the bullet shatters the bone or deflects off the bone you might as well you might it's, as well yeah it's just as well hand in hand intuitive almost <laughs> Indeed. It actually calculates, like, if you're in the blast radius of a grenade, it actually calculates how many individual pieces of shrapnel hit you. I wow. mean, this is what, this is the level we're talking about here. And this is what it was designed about. <laughs> it <is. laughs> it's like the anti-story game. It was designed by a couple of guys who work at Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. These are like it's literal the- rocket scientists <laughs> designed a role-playing game. This, this makes is sense. the outcome. Makes yeah. Sense. It all adds up now. Yeah. Yeah. This is this so, is triggering yeah. memories of the old alien role playing game that you were telling me about. Wait, is that this is this isn't the same people, is it? It's the same people and in fact wow. the alien adventure game, which is what it was called, used streamlined version of Phoenix Command, if you can believe it. My God. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We gotta do some like weirdo like retro reviews about this stuff because I Especially now, dude, because everybody's a game designer now that D&D 1 is announced. Everyone's got something to say about it. It'd be great to have a little video series where we just go out and be like, here's a bunch of old stuff. <laughs> I don't know if people like that, but it's not really, it's not really. Everyone else is going to have their D&D 1 videos. We might as well come out with a video of Alien Adventure game. <laughs> yes, please. Full name. Thank you. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's what the people want to hear is our yes. in-depth analysis of the Phoenix Command system. At this point, I'll, I'll do anything. <laughs> we can talk about if you did any gaming at Gen Con when we talk about Gen Con. But other than that, what else is going on? Oh, man. Not a ton, honestly. Yeah, and I guess all my gaming and hobby stuff is all Gen Con related. Wait, I think I hear something. I think I hear a call from beyond. Perhaps? Oh, methinks. <laughs> Pray tell. <laughs> You're right. We have a call from beyond. Yeah. Let's listen. Let's do you do you want to do this? Oh yes. Why don't you queue up that call from beyond? <laughs> okay, good. All right, let's give it a listen. Hey there, gate crashers. Uh this is Matt calling in from Urbana, Illinois, just to say that I really liked your episode on RPG safety tools. Um it's a really important subject that doesn't get discussed nearly enough. And I think you guys discussed a lot of great tools to help people get started uh, incorporating safety into their gaming. Uh, one other set of tools that I wanted to uh, shout out that has worked very well for me in the past is Script Change by Bo Sheldon. Um, it covers some of the same ground as the X card and Lies It Fails, but it does some other stuff as well. Um, it's a really neat little tool set. Uh, my players and I have found it very intuitive. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, just another option uh, that might be right for some of your listeners. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, great call, Matt. Thank you very much for that. And script yeah, change. I'll put a script change. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, I'm really interested in that because actually yeah, that reminded me that I have some non-Gen Con gaming related stuff, which is I started running Call of Cthulhu. Ooh. Oh yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my first time running Call of Cthulhu and my group's first time playing Call of Cthulhu. So it's a ton of fun. And of course, we're playing Berlin, the Wicked City. It's written by David Larkins, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> co-host right. of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like like any connoisseur, true connoisseur of the game, you've chosen the the premium cut. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. It is outstanding. And I feel like a fucking genius when I'm running this game because I've been reading through and absor- like hyper fixating 
on Berlin so much that mm. people are like the Treaty of Versailles, and I'm like, yeah, let me tell you, and I go on. And- oh yes, 1919. <laughs> you should wear a mortarboard while you're running it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. We're only one session in. We got through the prologue. And then after that, we're going to go straight into The Devil Eats Flies, which I'm super duper excited about. And I've been working with Sirenscape quite a bit to get all of my sounds going. And I've always been a big fan of Sirenscape in the past. But man, they the new like browser, like Sirenscape online player, that mm-hmm. thing is crazy. And just the possibilities are endless. Because there's something like, hold on, this is just for, this is for sounds and sound bites. Okay. Mm. There's 142,036 sounds. Not 150? What the fuck? Yeah. No. (laughs) I know. Not enough. Not enough. I'll wait. wait. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So you can really just do whatever you want. And it's great. Yeah. So 10 out of 10 Sirenscape. Recommend. And it's like 20, I mean, they're not a sponsor yet, Sirenscape, but but I've actually thought about putting Sirenscape in the background of our show instead of Mm. like the lo-fi music or whatever, maybe Sirenscape Mm -hmm. every now and again, because they just let you use their stuff for free as long as you just note that it's Sirenscape in your comments. Wow. Yeah. You just give them a little shout out in your description and you can put it in your actual plays. You can put it on your YouTube channel can put it on your podcast do whatever you want with it it's pretty cool. until they yeah. change their terms of service and then you have to pay them retroactively <laughs> exactly <laughs> the back day yeah you owe us back royalty what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> today's episode gen con and gen con. and or gaming conventions we'll just see how long we get into this gen con where do we start gen con well, yeah. I, you know, I always like to give a little historical context. And since you'll be doing most of the talking, I think I'll just, uh, I'll have my monologue right here at the top. Please. <laughs> if that's Please. okay. Yes. All right. A Gen Con, so named as a pun because originally it took place in the town of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And so it's the Geneva Convention. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shortened to Gen Con. Started in 1968 by one Gary Gygax. Uh, later creator of Dungeons and Dragons, or co-creator, I should say, Dungeons and yeah. Dragons. Originally wargaming convention. And then gradually grew and grew until it was too big for Lake Geneva. So eventually um, it was purchased by Peter Atkinson, former CEO of Wizards of the Coast, which is the current publisher of D&D. Flush with cash, he purchased the Gen Con organization and moved it to Indianapolis, where it has been ever since for a couple decades now. Yeah. And yeah, it's also over that time period grown to be easily the largest gaming convention in, certainly in the Western Hemisphere. There are maybe a couple conventions in Europe that are focused on more broadly tabletop gaming, including board games, which are perhaps larger. But as far as like an RPG convention, I think Gen Con's the biggest in the world, as far as I know. And I saw a number last week I think prior to the pandemic 2019 I think was their most well attended ever and it was something in the high 60,000s I want to say it was like 67, 68 something like that. Yeah, nearly 70 Very nearly 70 and obviously there was no in-person convention in 2020 last year was pretty limited but this year apparently it was getting climbing back up towards pre-pandemic levels I think it was around 50,000 this year, which is pretty large convention, I would yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you can speak to your experience there. But I've been a few times myself, starting in 2015 and through 2019. And it is, or it was at least, always a pretty intense experience because you're just yes. surrounded by nothing but gaming and gamers for four days straight. And yeah, I mean, you can go there to buy cool stuff in the exhibit hall, which is sort of a mecca if you're, you know, if you're a, a shopaholic, a gaming shopaholic. <laughs> um, you can go there and play games. There's panels, workshops, just the general vibe. It's an interesting experience. And I know, Kenny, being from that region yourself, you attended Gen Con many times. When did you, when was your first Gen Con? When did you start going? 
My first Gen Con was 2009, mm. and I've been going every year since. The only year I, the only year that it was being held in person, and I did not attend, was last year. So I skipped that. Even though I had some <laughs> friends who were there or whatever, and they said it was cool, but it's too early. In fact, I still think it was too early. It's really jarring to be around 50,000 people. <sighs> I can't even imagine. Yeah, no. and we were. Yeah, funny story about that. A buddy of mine back home. He's a barber, and he cuts the hair of the dude who manages the convention center. So he was like, and he had just gotten his hair cut like a couple days before Gen Con, and so had I and uh-huh. from the same, from my friend. And he was like, yeah, mm-hmm. that dude's telling me somewhere between 50 and 55,000 people. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, I knew, I knew, I know. Like, I knew it was going to be a lot, but... 50,000 still, you hear that number and you're like, dude, we're all going to die. We're all going to get... But you're fine so far. Yeah, yeah. I feel totally fine. I haven't gotten sick. Yeah, I we did the Gen Con thing and then I went to my parents. I went down to my folks' house for a week and yeah, totally fine. Mm. Thank goodness. But we were pretty Although obvious. They were meaning to ask you about that row of swollen pustules on your head. Is that? Oh, this is the new. Yeah, this is the new. It's the new pox. <laughs> they haven't named it yet. <laughs> yeah, it's COVID pox. The monkey pox is COVID combined. <laughs> right. In the stew of Gen Con to form a new super virus. <laughs> right. <amazing>. Yeah. <laughs> they call it the polyhedral pox. <laughs> that would be interesting. Like a, a swollen pox that looks like a D20. There'd probably be people intentionally getting it at that point. Oh, yeah. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Gen Con. I guess it's been a... I don't know. It's crazy. It's been a while since I've been home. So just being back in Indy was wild in itself. And yeah, the new hotel down there is crazy looking. Super art deco. I 100% next year when we go to Gen Con, I'm going to get at least one night there, which is 300 Mm. bucks a night or something. But do one night at the Bottle Works and do like a Call of Cthulhu 1920s game in one of their little bars or something. That would be just, yeah, just a blast. That would be awesome. So yeah, that was great. All the food is great. Obviously, Indianapolis is a huge food city. Can Um, confirm. Yeah, you can get anything you want there and it's always good. So that was pretty cool. The convention itself, like I said, it was pretty wild. It was wild being around fifty thousand people. It was now wild. they did have a, they did have a mask mandate and a yeah. vac- vaccination proof mandate, right? Yes, either either you have proof that you're vaccinated or you have proof of a negative COVID test within twenty four hours or forty eight hours mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, I felt safe being there. I felt Mm -hmm. safe. It wasn't, and I was masked up the whole time, except like at dinner, obviously. Mm -hmm. Everybody that I was with was very safe, pretty cautious with their masks as well. Yeah, it was, the jarring part was just like going from just like these super small, isolated with me and my wife for a year or more, and then meeting up with friends every now and again, still in small numbers. And then Mm -hmm. boom, you're in the middle of a convention hall surrounded by people. So it's crazy. It's crazy. It was weird. Oh, man. It was great seeing, like, all my convention buddies. Tom Babby was there. He's one of my favorite artists and has become a friend through Gen Con. And he's the dude Mm -hmm. who, he's done a ton of work for Wizards of the Coast and Magic the Gathering. He just did, he did all the concept art for the Icons of the Realms, the big giant, like, dragon miniatures that kids sells. And he's got his own miniature line, which is fantastic super nice dude he's the nicest guy on the planet yeah so it was great seeing him wayne reynolds wasn't there but i expected that coming over from the uk it was funny being recognized by a couple people one one dude from cubicle seven recognized me from youtube and then somebody else (laughs) at the age of sigmar table recognized me from twitter that was a lot of fun yeah i don't know i got a i got some games (laughs) i guess i should okay I don't know what else to talk about. So I got some games. The shocker. Okay, this was the sleeper. This was the surprise. I feel like every year at Gen Con, there's like a surprise game that we get. Yes. Oh my God, we didn't come here for this, but we left here with it. And now it's like our favorite game. So we were with a buddy of ours who he's from Louisville. He's a big horse. So he grew up around horse racing. And he's, man, I want to get this game called Long Shot. It's like a horse racing game. And we're like, oh, okay, whatever, cool. And so 
he goes and he gets it and it's this little tiny box maybe the size of a small book and it's a horse racing board game with some dice mechanics and so we're like laying down we're laying down and sitting in the hallway along next to georgia street where everybody goes and sits and I'm like, hey man, let's pull out that long shot game. Let's check it out. And so we played a game and it was so much fun. It was outrageous. I had no idea mm. it was gonna be that fun. It's not like my genre. I'm not like, oh, horse <laughs> racing, my favorite. Like, but <laughs> but it is a blast. I can't and so we went and we bought it. We played it, I think, three times over the <laughs> the Gen Con weekend. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it's really good. So I recommend if you're into like fun little 40 minute games and you like gambling, check out Longshot the Dice Game. <laughs> <laughs> you like gambling. <laughs> yeah. If you like gambling, it is gambling the game because what, the, yeah, because what you do is there's eight horses on the board. And mm. you roll a die, and it tells you what horse moves and how many spaces it moves. So it's a D8 and a D3. Mm. So you roll the D8 and the D3. The D8 tells you which horse moves. The D3 tells you how far it moves. And then when you okay. look at the that horse, when it moves, it triggers other horses that move. That's so, clever. Yeah, and you can... And as you're playing, you're building up all of these, like, bonuses. So you can, like, I'm like, oh, I'm betting on number six. Like, I have $5 riding on number six, horse number six. And so I'm going to I'm gonna buy all these derbies or whatever. You can, like, you, every turn you get an action. And so you okay. can go around and you can basically build it up to where, like, when every horse moves, number, ho number six is going to move as well. And so you spend oh, your whole okay. game doing that, oh. like powering up your horse and like buying all these like concessions and getting bonuses and stuff like that. It's just mm. a lot of fun. There's like a lot to do, but it's all contained on this little like roll and write, like dry erase card. It's a blast. I recommend it. That sounds like fun. Sounds like you could modify it too to do any kind of racing. Oh, system. totally. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could do it with a... That'd be great to do like a death race kind of thing. That would be cool. Yeah. Or uh, Roman chariots or something. Oh, ben absolutely. Kind of situation. Now yeah. we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big one. And then we also got the Great British Bake Off board game, which we haven't busted it out yet. But I'm wow. like, yeah, we're, Caitlin and I are big fans of the show. So we're like, oh, sure. let's get it yeah. and figure it out. So we'll see what that's like. Did the box come with a soggy bottom? No, but there is a soggy bottom penalty. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think, and there's like a way that you can get like a Hollywood handshake, like during your turn or whatever. And it's like, wow. a, yeah. And I think it's like a total like dexterity game where you're trying to like build all these components to make whatever bakery item you're trying to do. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. So it looks like fun. We'll see. Is it going to be as fun as long shot i don't know but it should be it's a tiny little board game and yeah it'll be fun during the holidays sure yeah absolutely what else did i get oh i talked to a bunch of old men about the decline of historical wargaming that wasn't a gen con though that was online so i participated <laughs> in that discussion as well <laughs> yeah or did you have another one did i had one of? in real life at gen con oh, christ all right go on i know yeah okay so it's very weird so yeah, I was like walking around because my wife and I, we spend a lot of time, obviously we spend like the whole weekend together. So there's times where I'm just like, hey, go off and do your thing and explore and buy whatever you want and I'll do the same. And so I'm like walking around by myself and I'm really looking for historical stuff because I'm like, maybe yeah. I'll find something cool. Maybe I'll find some more Vikings for whatever. Maybe I'll find cool movement trays or whatever so i go to the two historical wargaming okay so there's yeah there's two historical wargaming booths one yeah. is just some dude sitting on a rack of bolt action stuff oh. and i'm like oh, okay whatever and like i talked to them a little bit and they were nice they gave me a war games illustrated magazine that had some models in it i don't know what they are british something and uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, British black powder. That's all I know, I think, maybe. <laughs> They're gray plastic, so they could be anything. But so yeah, I got that and they were nice. Oh, and they told me that there's a new, there's like a War Games Illustrated, but American version. 
that's okay. out now. So oh, I nice. thought that was interesting. I haven't looked into it yet, but I figured I'd do that. Yeah, check it out at some point. Because War Games Illustrated is a great magazine. It really is. I used to actually have a subscription. Nice. It's, yeah, it's a really great magazine. Yeah, it's cool. So cool that there's like an American version. And then I went over and I found the other historical guys. But the, oh yeah, the <laughs> booth was very strange. It was full of, I don't know, like, I don't want to say post-apocalyptic. Dude, I mean, it legit could have just been like the Iraq War as a tabletop game. Wow. That's what it looked like. It was really weird. It was a really weird, like, too soon kind of thing. Battle like, of Fallujah. It's like, it's we need like, to do that. Yeah, it's like, we're not even out of there yet, dude. Can you can you not mechanize the death of my friends? <laughs> so it's wild to see that. But anyway, so they were talking, and I was amongst themselves. And then I came on up. I came up, and I was just talking to them. I was like, yeah. hey, I'm just, they're like, I'm like, hey, I'm just looking through your big resin bits box of shit that you're trying to give away for a dollar. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they start talking to me and they're like, man, at this point, yeah, I don't know. It was really weird. It was like, they were like, what do you play? And I was like, oh, I play a lot of things. And I went through the list. I was like, mostly Warhammer. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, but I played some AWI stuff and I got some six millimeter things for Jacobites and Vikings. And one of them was like, you're the guy. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he's, he's like, you're the kind of guy that like we're looking for. And I was oh. like, are you? Why? Like, are you? Are you? Am I? And he's, he's basically saying, <laughs> he's basically saying like historical wargaming is dying and young people, uh, which I guess I'm young, <laughs> young people, sure. 35 years such as yourself. Right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> These young men. Well, yeah, in the median age is like 63 or something. <laughs> yes, you are young. That is true. So, yeah, young men, such as myself, are we're not getting into historical wargaming for whatever reason. And I was thinking, I was like, I suspect you have different reasons than I do for thinking this. But... He just straight up came out and said it. He was like, a lot of the older guys that are in this hobby, they don't want to play with the new guys. They don't want to mm -hmm. play with the new kids. And uh. was, and I was like, wow, look at you. But then he made some like weird comments about COVID. And I wasn't sure. I wasn't oh, really sure. Christ. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't, don't want to get your hopes up too much. <laughs> he was like. <laughs> oh, no. Don't worry. I'm far too salty <laughs> to get my hopes right. up at this point. <laughs> Oh, he lifted his sleeve and he had a second <laughs> Moffat SS Panzer Corps exactly. tattoo on his arm. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I just I just play them in bolt action. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you get down to it, the individual <laughs> German soldier was actually apolitical. Oh, God. So, yeah, it was a... Uh... <laughs> It was like, so we, I sat there and talked to him for quite a while, but I was like, I was like, man, you guys need to, and they were like game store owners. I don't know what game store they worked at, mm. but they were like, they were talking about getting a bunch of community events going and having older dudes who want to open the gates to these younger guys playing historical war games, having mm. come in. And I was like, man, you guys should do like a mentorship kind of thing where you pair off people if you can and help them learn. And yeah. so who knows? They had a lot of ideas. So I hope it all works out for them. But yeah, it was weird and interesting just being like, you're the kind of guy we're looking for who's like into Warhammer, but then that takes them into the historical stuff. And then mentioning that like old dudes don't want to play with young people. And I was like, yeah, okay. But yeah, but yeah, it was just interesting seeing, hearing that from a stranger, especially an old white man. <laughs> Yeah. Was this before or after your Twitter spat that you got in? <laughs> this was before. <laughs> this enabled the Twitter oh, spat. I can see why you're all fired up then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was super heated over that. So yeah, that was fun. There was a big Warhammer booth, which was cool. The Age of Sigmar tables were pathetic. I was super bummed. I, I think three people showed up to play Age of Sigmar on Saturday. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and there's like a whole like Indianapolis Warhammer club. In fact, I mm. met with one of the guys who recognized me on Twitter, and yeah. he gave me one of the Indianapolis club dice, which is like the Indiana logo, or the Indiana flag, so the torch with the stars around it. But instead of a torch, it's 
the Age oh, of Sigmar yeah. hammer, which is a great logo, 10 out of 10. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Very so, much so, yeah. That was probably like my favorite thing I got yeah. at Gen Con, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out to the Indiana State flag. It's one of the better ones. It really is. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And then, oh. I know we're going to talk a little bit about the state of gaming conventions in general but just to jump in a little preview to that in the moment because i'm having this thought as you're saying all this yeah i really feel like that was something that surprised me when i started going to gen con because like i expected a convention that large you would have a lot of different gaming going on instead Mm -hmm. of just like room after room of like pathfinder society and the adventurers league and then like a board game room why do I say room? Like a board game hall. And then not a whole lot else. Yeah, there's a hall that has miniatures games going on. And that's always worth a little walkthrough because you see some interesting tables. When you compare to, say, Adepticon, which is more focused on Warhammer, or Historicon, which is focused on historical miniatures and conventions like that, it's nothing, like you're saying. But I think that's part of the problem is that we have this sort of balkanized convention scene where it's, oh, you don't go to Gen Con and play Warhammer. You go to Adepticon for that. And it's right. just, but then it's, what if I can't go to Adepticon and I can only go to Gen Con? SOL, basically. So that's my little hot take on that. Yeah. And it really is just I've reached out to. So last year, I mean, in, in moving on to gaming conventions at large, I guess one last okay. thing I did get yeah, yeah. at, at no, Gen please. Con, I think. Oh, two things. One, I picked up six little motorbikes for my Warhammer yeah. 40k thingy vibe, whatever, Grimdark Future. And I've already mm-hmm. started bashing them together with some space wolf parts to make them more wolfy. And I have one unit that's totally built, mostly built. They have heads and arms and legs and bikes. I'm just going to put on some extra like wolf tails and stuff like that. But I need to strip them of the paint first so that the glue will actually stick. So I got six bikes, which I'm very happy about that because they look great together. And they were only like 20 bucks from the big bits thing. And you see those for sale on eBay and they're like $60 for three. Oh, at least. Yeah. 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 So I was really happy about that. Even though digging around in a bunch of GW bits without gloves, definitely. I was like, I need to make sure that I wash my hands immediately after this. <laughs> you like make the purchase then you're like walking like a doctor with your hands in front of you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I would say obviously Gen Con, he, Gen Con has a big role playing game presence, but mm. the board game presence is massive. It is. These days, you can demo. You can't walk two feet without demoing a brand new game. It's crazy. That's true. And then there's all the miniature games and stuff like that. And so there's a good, there's a good mix of things. Although one game that I really wanted to demo that they weren't demoing had a brand new edition was Betrayal hmm. at the House of the Hill. Really? Yes. Like one of my favorite games. And there's, yeah. and I was like, oh man. And they were giving away these little comics because there's a new character in Betrayal who's like a werewolf, like all the time. And so she just like hmm. randomly hulks out into a werewolf, <laughs> but even though she may not be the traitor. So I'm like, oh shit, huh. like that sounds cool. And then I went there, I was like, hey, can I demo your game? And they're like, you could, but it's select, you like, you have to go buy a ticket to demo it, which I didn't want to pay to demo your game dude come on yeah and he was like all the slots are pretty much full anyways i was like oh good job so <laughs> so yeah oh yeah and then the new DD onslaught was at gen con too i keep for, i keep now it's all coming back to me <laughs> yeah DD onslaught did you watch a playthrough of that or have you looked at that at all? I've heard of it. I think you might have even sent me a link to it, but I haven't watched anything with it yet. It man, it looks weird. It is so yeah. crazy. Like it's their new skirmish game. So like it's D it's a throwback to Chainmail, mm. I guess. But they're mm. using fifth edition rules. Like you have a character card with all your stats and everything. But it was funny <laughs> watching the playthrough. The designers were like in chat talking about the mechanics of the game. And they were like, yeah, we just decided that every character just has advantage all the time on their attack rolls to make the combat less swingy. And I was like, oh, that doesn't seem like a good sign for your your combat game to just be like, we miss 70% of the time. So our little four-man skirmish game takes three hours. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty brutal. So that was if there. If you spend four hours on combat, you might as well be using Phoenix Command. This episode brought to you <laughs> by Phoenix Command. 
<laughs> God, I wish. <laughs> I know, email the dudes. Hey, how's JPL? Anyway. Yeah, uh, so yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing I got, swung, I swung by both Chaosium booths, booths because Hey-o. there are two of them. Living large. And, yeah, and of course I had to pick up the Pendragon in, I guess it would be. Special preview quick start. Yeah, yeah. So that's a lot of fun to look through. And I read a little bit of it, but not a ton because I would love to run it. And yeah, yeah. yeah, it was cool seeing all that stuff in there. Cool seeing the pagan knights w- was cool to look in there. Yeah, just a bunch of like cool pre-generated stuff. And I just like looking at Pendragon characters and being like, ooh, I know all about these guys just by looking at their <laughs> character sheet. Nice. So that was cool. And then I was desperately trying to find something to buy for Call of Cthulhu, but I had everything that I like really needed. Yeah. The But... They had the the 40th edition, like the throwback, like two inch box. Yeah, the anniversary edition. Yeah, the anniversary edition. I was like, damn, that's cool. And then they had another, they had a prop set box that was just Mm. all like from the, I guess the HP Lovecraft Historical Society, maybe. Definitely. Oh, okay. But it was just like a shit ton of props, like a hundred props just to run these adventures. And I was like, I wanted to buy them, but then I like hummed and hawed about it forever. And I was like, that's expensive. It's 200 bucks or maybe 250 by the time I like, yeah, by the time everything was like bought. And I was like, maybe I'll just get up out on it. And then the second we left Gen Con, I was like, fuck, I should have bought this. <laughs> I know that feel. Yeah. It sucks, dude. You get the FOMO, you get the FOMO engine hit real hard. And it's, it's not like, it's not like I can't just get on Chaosium's website and buy it right now. But like right. I could have had it, it in different. my hand. Yeah. yeah. I could have been yeah. like pouring over it over the next week at my parents' house, just like really I don't right. know, getting into right. it. <laughs> um, Going through it on the plane and spilling things all over the floor. Exactly. <laughs> Losing components on the flight home. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, the flights. Oh, don't even get me started. So we'll <sighs> move past that. And let's start, let's talk, we got some time left. We got like 20 minutes left. Let's yeah. talk about, let's talk about gaming conventions in general. We we were talking a minute ago about Adepticon and Warhammer conventions and stuff like that. So the last couple, I'd say the last couple years, 2020 obviously doesn't count, but I've been to LVO, the Las Vegas Open twice. That's like mm-hmm. the big Warhammer convention in the Southwest, West Coast area. Mm-hmm. It's in Las Vegas, if you can't tell. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you get there and it's 90% Warhammer. And maybe there's a few. There was a Warlord game booth there. They actually mm. had more historical representation than Gen Con did. Oh, Jesus um, Christ. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> dude, uh, w- the biggest bummer ever was going down to the miniature playing hall in, at Gen Con in Lucas Oil. And there was yeah. like the Indianapolis Wargaming, like Historical Wargaming Society or whatever it You're was like, called. You're like, oh, here we go. Dude, right. yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm it, like, I'll pay dues. I don't care. Uh, I'm, I'm here often enough to where I could just uh, own some models and play. Dude. And they're the Western like, Historical Wargamers are good uh, about it, right? Yeah, I know. The right. juice. So, so I went over there and I was talking to him and they were like, yeah, we really only play World War like Actually, he said, we're strictly World War II and World War III. And I was like, World War III sounds historical. And he was like, he was like, well, his the only game we really play is bolt action. And what's that? What's that game? The Flames World War III War. game? No, oh, yeah, oh, Flames uh, of War. Flames Team of War. Yankee. Team. That's what it is. Flames of War. It wasn't bolt action. It was Flames even War. worse. Oh, even better. He was like, <laughs> so he, he's like, yeah, we strictly play Flames of War and Team Yankee. And I was like, okay, see ya. <laughs> nah. I was like, I was even like, does anybody here play like? AWI stuff like I, I have some AWI models oh. and he was like yeah he was like some of our guys have like Civil War guys and I was like ugh yeah and then yeah for folks who don't know like Flames of War is a I would say it's like a tournament focused historical war game right. it's much Warhammer 40,000 in that sense where or even War Machine even more right. so perhaps where it's like the focus didn't initially start out as tournament competitive tournament gamers but that's where the edition trended over time until like now that seems to be their primary target demographic and so it's all about building optimal lists and just min-maxing your forces and trying to win basically right yeah 
doing it for like the love of the history or whatever. You're trying to you're trying to win as opposed to have fun. Like I I tried to watch because I got into Flames of War when it first came out 20 years ago because it was 15 millimeter scale miniatures, which I do right. love that scale. And it was very like it was the first historical war game, to be fair, that actually attempted to court people outside of the sort of crusty grognard uh, demographic, right? <laughs> By having like actual like colorful photos and comprehensible right. layout, right? In their rule book and, uh, and like background information so that you didn't have to already be familiar with the period in order to play it. All of which I appreciated greatly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I played it a little bit back in the day. And so actually just recently I was like, oh, I wonder what plays of wars like these days. <laughs> and I looked up, <laughs> I looked up an actual play on YouTube and I almost had a stroke. Like after just watching 10 minutes of it, because I swear to God, like they were deploying, I think they deployed some of their tanks in perpendicular formation to each other. Like optimal cover while also having optimal line of sight. Like it was just Uh, so bad. It was like, wow, dude, not my speed, not my speed. Dude, (laughs) I've seen horse heresy tables set up like that where it's, I'm deploying all my tanks sideways. Dude, Uh stop, stop. We're here to Uh enjoy the spectacle not like cheese the mechanics in some like super like bad faith interpretation yep yeah anyways so (laughs) so you're talking about but you're talking about las vegas open having more historicals that yeah and it was and lvo is all right if you don't like warhammer you're not gonna have a good time period anyways let's keep oh yeah. i guess we're since we're talking about gaming conventions i don't want to like force a segue here but oh. necronomicon is happening right now and god i wish i was there <laughs> yeah so i think that brings up the larger issue it's what place do gaming conventions serve in our contemporary hobby space because that's a big question yeah. he asks with 10 minutes left in the episode i know but, uh, <laughs> for real I was like oh god jesus <laughs> <laughs> the two-parter. I it didn't is. know. <laughs> Suddenly turned into a two-parter. No, I think this is also, this is honestly a question for the audience as well. So we would love to hear mm. your thoughts on Discord or through the Anchor app or anywhere else. You can send us a letter in the mail, whatever you want to do. Oh, like it's but, Mystery Science Theater. Right, exactly. Oh, there you go. We'll put it up on, on Still Store. But, but yeah, like what's, why gaming conventions, I guess you could say, right? Now, obviously... Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of folks, and probably the reason the numbers were up so much this year at Gen Con, is like a lot of folks have been missing that kind of in-person experience. And so are thinking like, hey, I can go out to a gaming convention. That's totally cool. I'm going to do that. And because uh, they want to be around people. They want to they want to have that face-to-face interaction yeah. experience. The camaraderie. Right? Yeah, exactly. The camaraderie. But... I don't know. I'm almost thinking like in this day and age, maybe these kind of smaller conventions, these sort of micro conventions, if you will, because Gen Con, Necronomicon is only a few hundred people. It's very intimate. It's a very small convention. I think there is a lot more. They do this a lot more in Europe where you have a one or two day convention, a castle or something. And it's just this very boutique experience with two dozen people at the most but they invite game design celebrities or whatever to come out there so that you can like totally schmooze with whoever. Like Rub you can have the whole with the stars. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the stars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, which I like, that does sound like fun though. I'm laughing oh. about it, but yeah, it pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'd go. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'd pay um, $300 yeah. for that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you get that boutique experience and arguably in a world where we still have a nice little pandemic bubbling away in the background. It's a, arguably a safer experience. It's a less stressful experience, certainly. I don't know. Is there still a place for these massive conventions where there's like tens of thousands of people? Because my understanding is you didn't really do a whole lot because you were just trying to keep your head above water. You were uh, yeah, it's, it, it's <laughs> Yeah, for real. I was fighting for my life in there. I, <laughs> <laughs> there was a ton, dude, yeah. there was a ton of panels and and talks and stuff like that that I wanted to go to. But dude, I just, I couldn't keep track of, my schedule just could not be held down. I was just Mm. like constantly losing track of time, forgetting about what I had to go do or what I should have done. So there was like, like there was a bunch of Cubicle 7 talks where they were talking about like new Warhammer Fantasy stuff and Soulbound stuff that was going to come out in the next year. I was like, dude, Mm. oh man, I really want to go to that. 
I missed both of them. I missed everything. I didn't go to a single panel. I just kept forgetting. It was crazy. Mm. I was bummed. Cause that's like my, that's one of my favorite things about Gen Con is just being like, oh, let's just go swing by this panel. And if we don't like it, we can leave. And instead I just dipped around the fuck exhibit hall for four days and didn't hardly buy anything. Yeah. It was really mm. weird. It was really weird. Mm. I've had like stress nightmares like that actually about yeah. going to Gen Con where it's, <laughs> I forget to go to the exhibit hall until Sunday morning. I've just been like oh. hanging out in my hotel the whole time. And I'm like, oh shit. I have all the stuff I was going to do. And then I have cram it all into the, like the last three hours of the convention. God, so, yeah. My sympathies it, to you. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah. I do love that idea, though, of the small convention. That's that's so ideal. Imagine doing something cool, man. Just like two, like a weekend convention or whatever where you get together and do it. Maybe even here in New Mexico where we sure. like – pick some cool historical spot where we're and we're like, oh, let's just do a bunch of like historical war gaming that might loosely be based on something happening in the Southwest or maybe, I don't know. I wonder, if, wonder if you can book, I wonder if you can book Rancho de las Golandrinas for this. Oy. Oy, oy, that would be a pretty cool location. That's a living history ran rancho, basically like a really? 18th century. Yeah. Have you been? No. Oh, dude, it's Link amazing. in the show like, notes. <laughs> link in the fucking show notes because, yeah, they have a working water mill. Oh. There's, they, that's where they do the local Ren Fair, actually, which is funny. Oh, really? So they, like, when you go to the Ren Fair, they do the jousts out on the sheep pasture. But, but yeah, it's like they have a working water mill with the world's grumpiest miller uh, operating dead. it, as, as is right and proper. And, and then the actual compound of the Hacienda homestead, basically. Wow. And it's all 18th century architecture, so it's mud brick adobe with the stucco over the bricks and the, the Orno yeah. ovens and the whole nine yard. And imagine going yeah. there and running, you know, <sighs> Cthulhu trail, like yeah. down darker down trails. Darker trails. Yeah. It'd be the ultimate experience. Whew. All right. Get now, crusher, now I got chills. All right. We're going to we're going to Kickstarter <laughs> coming soon, folks. Oh, like. there we go. We could do it. dude. We could do it. Yeah. I'll just pull some strings. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, we do want to hear what people have to say. Are you uh, out there in listening land? Are you still interested in large conventions? Is that something, if you haven't been back to one, are you looking forward to getting back to one at some point in the next year or two? Are you more into the small convention idea? Are you into convention conventions at all? Do in-person conventions even have a place in our digital world? where you can effectively participate in a panel discussion via podcast like this one, or right. workshops are online, commerce, e-commerce is a thing, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm genuinely curious what folks have to say about it, so. I am too, because I think there's room for all of it, but I'm, but yeah, yeah I am curious to see what gets left behind in if this world ever becomes post-pandemic. What gets left behind? Is it the giant Gen Con or are people going to be clamoring for that kind of experience after years of isolation and small turnouts? Do you just want to go yeah. and cut loose? I have 50,000 people. That's a lot. But that's not all of us. That's not everybody. No, baby. I'd be super curious to see where the numbers are next year. It maybe bounces back even more to exceed the 2019 numbers. That's I mean, conceivable. I was keeping track at Gen Con numbers for a long time, and every year it was record breaking. I think, yeah, every for single like year. For like 10 years straight or something, yeah. right? It was yeah. remarkable. Up to 70,000. And what's crazy, Gen Cons, <laughs> they might bounce out of Indianapolis due to terrible politics, but the people of Indianapolis love Gen Con. <sighs> it's true. It's they true. They love um, Gen Con. It, yeah, that and like you go out to eat and like the wait staff will talk to you about like I sold a waitress on the Call of Cthulhu starter set at the <laughs> Brazilian buffet place. That oh, we went right. To, yeah. But Fogo, yeah. <laughs> she's, you know, she's like, really? Oh, that sounds really cool. I'm like, yeah, swing by the Chaosia booth. And I like right. the booth number. She's like, I totally will. She's like, boyfriend would be totally into this. And this sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Whereas, yeah, obviously I mentioned earlier the Minneapolis situation was the complete opposite. That being said, if Gen Con moved to Chicago, I would not be sad. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> I wouldn't be sad, but damn, I don't want to deal with anything in Chicago. I don't like Chicago <laughs> prices. I don't like Chicago traffic. I don't like Chicago hotel costs. We, we got the super chief from Santa Fe directly to Chicago, though. It's easy. Oh, really? Take the train. Yeah. You don't need the plane. Now that you just hop on the old Amtrak. Are you saying we can take the train to Gen Con in Chicago and play horror on the Orient Express? 
I'm not not saying that. <laughs> I think it's about a 20-hour train trip, so 40 hours both ways, you could get a lot done. Okay. All right. It's <laughs> now locked see. in as something that has yeah. to happen. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Let's make it real. Let's visualize it. That's right. Yeah. And it's in the universe now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on gaming conventions and where they sit in our world today. And the world of tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow! <laughs> I'll put reverb on that. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so I guess that's it for season one of the Gatecrasher podcast. I want to thank everybody who's tuned in so far, or if you're listening to this in the future, thank you for listening. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and we will be back for season two. We're going to see, we're going to look into some maybe some format changes. You know, we're, we're figuring out what works best for this podcast as we go along. And we've got mm-hmm. some exciting ideas for season two, including maybe getting some guests on the show and just experimenting with the format, like I said. Yeah, we're going to come back for season two. Never fear. But uh, yeah, this is season one of Gatecrasher going out on the high note of Gen Con. Right. <laughs> yeah, epic. Epic. Season <laughs> finale. <laughs> Cha-chong. <laughs> So, yeah, thanks everyone for listening so far. Thanks to the yes. patrons who have backed us. We'll put some bonus stuff out on the Patreon during our season break. So if you want to check that stuff out while you're waiting for the new season to start, do back us on Patreon. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and find us wherever. The Discord's great. I love the Discord, honestly. I love it's our like, Discord community. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, like, you always hear people say that, like, content creators and stuff, like, oh, I have the best Discord community. It's like, do you? Like, what does that even mean? And then, but once you start getting a good Discord community, you're like, oh, these guys are the best. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they want to be here. Yeah. It's interesting, (laughs) by definition. All right. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in for season one of Gatecrasher. We're going to be back with season two for some more surprises, more guests more interesting discussion and all kinds Mm -hmm. of fun stuff. So I hope you guys follow us along. Absolutely. Until then, I guess. Until then. Goodbye. Goodbye.